Well, last week, Kevin did a great job of preaching in this series on a topic called uh, The Discipline of Being with the Least of These. And he quoted from Sam Wells this quote that said, Poverty is not primarily about money, but it's about not knowing what to do and not knowing who to do it with. And he talked about the, the truth and the fact that we need communities of imagination in order to engage with the least of these, as we've been in this Faithful Presence series. And you didn't have a chance to listen, uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I'd encourage you to listen online to that uh, picture and that phrase of communities of imagination and the challenge of that, the really good challenge of that for each one of us. These past uh, two weeks, we've also been introducing and explaining some of the Faithful Presence initiative and this ongoing response to the series that we are saying we don't want it to just be a seasonal thing, we want it to not just be time-specific, but that we want it to be a year-round approach. And so last week explained some of the, both the top-down approach and some of the tangible things, the three different aspects that we're doing, uh, which I won't explain again here today. You can find those online on your bulletin app as well, too. But we also talked about the bottom-up approaches and the limitless and endless opportunities that there are from the grassroots, from each one of us, of just how is it that God is calling us to respond, to be his faithful presence uh, throughout the year. So at the end of the service last week, I had someone uh, ask me and and challenge me a bit and say, so Bruce, what what is the challenge to us? What is it that we are to do? And I thought that was kind of interesting. I was a little bit confused. I thought, I'd hope I had explained it well, and I tried to explain again, but I took another approach and I said, well, I'm not actually sure what you're supposed to do. What is it that Jesus is calling you to do in response to this? It's not so dissimilar to how I frequently respond to my kids at times when they have a dilemma or they have a decision to make and they want me to tell them precisely what to do and I typically resist and I'll say something like, well, I'm not sure. You need to use your best judgment. What's the wise choice? That's a free parenting tip when you have no idea how to answer a really hard question. Um, You can just kind of throw it back at them and sound really wise and contemplative. Uh, But it's all, and actually I just had a conversation with one of my daughters last night, use that exact phrase, uh, use your best judgment as she's going through and processing some things. But I also do it for a couple of other reasons, not just when I don't have a good answer, but I want my kids to also seek after God and learn to hear the voice of God. And I also want them to learn to make decisions and live with the consequences of their decisions. And so in a similar way, as we are in this Faithful Presence Initiative and wrapping up this series, we, uh, in a similar way, want you to think through and to come to some of those decisions on your own as well. One of the uh, other more famous stories maybe that I've told of my kids, and I've shared it here before, The wonderful thing about being my age is that you don't remember that, and neither do you, most of you, so that's fine. Uh, But when Jody was two years old or three years old, uh, our second oldest daughter, and she was, we were living in BC at the time, and she was having this problem at this stage of life of knowing her left foot from her right foot. Maybe you remember this story. And she didn't, she always often put it on the wrong, put her shoes on the wrong feet. You know how that works with young kids sometimes. And so I was walking out of the house one day, and she had her left foot, her left shoe on her right foot again. And she was struggling to get the other one. And I said, I walked past and I said, Jody, that's on the wrong foot. It goes on the other foot. Oh, okay, dad. And so I walk out to the garage. And a few minutes later, I hear this yelling from the back step of the house. 
And here's Jody now standing there with her right, her proper foot, shoe on her right, uh, the proper foot. And she's got the other one in her hand and she's going, Dad, where does the other one go? And that is a true story. Now, Jody's a really bright girl. But I really wondered that day. And I thought, okay, we've got some challenges. But sometimes we want that, don't we? Sometimes we want to be told specifically, precisely, what is it that we are to do? How is it that we are to respond? And part of the Faithful Presence Initiative is that we are actually not telling you what to do. We have, as I said, three projects that will help us get started and focus together. But from there, there are really limitless options. And the question is really, what is Jesus asking you to do? How is God asking you to respond to the reality and the truth and the hope of his faithful presence in your life, in our lives? And how is he inviting you to respond in an ongoing way? How is God inviting you and us to be communities of imagination? To be God's faithful presence in the lives of people around us and with the opportunities that God gives us. Well, today is our last Sunday in this series, and then we head into our Advent series, and so it's our last Sunday in our Faithful Presence series, and we've looked throughout this fall at disciplines of kingdom prayer, the discipline of proclaiming the gospel, the discipline of being with children, of being with the least of these, the discipline of reconciliation, and the discipline of the Lord's table. And each of the Sundays, the three Sundays where we participate in communion, the last Sunday of each month, we've been teaching on the Lord's table. And so again today, we will be speaking about the Lord's table from a certain aspect as part of God's faithful presence in our lives. And as I was thinking and praying about this third message on the discipline of the Lord's table and how this helps us to both see God's faithful presence, but how the Lord's table also equips and calls us to be His presence in the world, I was continually drawn back to this odd text in Hebrews chapter 13. It's a text that has intrigued me many times. I've been brought back to it many times, but in this last little while as I've been preparing for today, this is where God just kept bringing me. And early on, I wasn't really sure why, but as I stayed in this text, God has just been showing me many connections to both the Lord's table and also our Faithful Presence series, and I trust that you will see that as well. So as we've been saying in this series... It's about what God has done and about his faithful presence in our lives and in the world, but it's also about our response. It's also about this invitation, this call, this command of Jesus to be his faithful presence in the world as well. And this text does both. It's a text that is about Jesus. It's about the extraordinary way that he has shown his love for us. And there's imagery and language that is used here that is captured in Jesus' extraordinary love for us by this phrase of going outside the camp. Kind of an odd phrase. And we're going to look at that today and explore that today in terms of, of what that means for us as well. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to start in verse 8. And we're going to just look at verses uh, 8 to 16 primarily here today. But in verse 8, it begins with this text that you may well know where we hear of this truth, this proclamation that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. You know, the primary 
One of the primary overall messages of Hebrews is to teach who Jesus is and to keep our eyes on him, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And also that the religious systems that the Jews had known for so many years had been, were being replaced and they had been fulfilled now in Jesus Christ. And so this whole book of Hebrews and our text for today also pushes against our tendency to hold on tightly at times to some of our customs, our traditions, and even some of the familiar people that we like to surround ourselves, but instead uh, of realizing that these are the things that will change over time. But Jesus doesn't change, actually. The way that we gather as church communities, the way that we do traditions, the liturgy that we have as a church that constantly changes, and it changes over the centuries. It changes even here in our midst. As we go to two services, that changes everything again. As you replace pews with chairs, that changes your liturgy and how you sit and how you understand each other. Those change constantly. But this text is reminding us that Jesus Christ never changes. Even though our methods and our modes of worship and of how we are the church and called to be the church will continually and needs to continually change. And sometimes we hold so tightly to our traditions and our familiar things that have been central to our faith, and yet the message of Hebrews is that we need to be more enamored and faithful to Jesus than these other things. And sometimes we get them backwards. And sometimes we hold on to certain things as opposed to holding on to Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in verse 9 and 10, it says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to this early church and saying, you know, there are some of you who are being led astray. There are some of you who are being told that the Mosaic law, the religious systems, the Jewish traditions that you have been steeped in for so many years, you're holding on to those so tightly and that you're losing sight of the promise that has been proclaimed throughout all these years that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews is challenging them and saying, you're being led astray that that some of you are being held back now by these very religious ceremonies and sacrificial systems that you have been entrenched in, that have served you with good purpose, but now everything is changing because of Jesus. Jesus has ushered in a whole new era, a whole new covenant. And I love that line that it it says there in in verse 9. It says, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. This is now an era and a covenant of grace. The covenant of Jesus. We have a new altar. It's Jesus Christ. It's one that those who are still holding on to the law of Moses know nothing about and they have actually no right to eat even from this altar. And so some were teaching that, that they needed to keep this Old Testament, this Mosaic ceremonial laws and rituals such as eating certain foods or not eating certain foods and they needed to do that in order for... It was important for salvation. But you see, these laws were useless for conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. You see that in Hebrews, Colossians, many other texts. These laws could change conduct, but they did nothing to change the heart. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that lasting change and transformation occurs with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit 
with the Spirit of God Himself. This new era that Jesus has ushered in is changing everything. And then he goes on in verse 11. And he says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through His own blood. Let us then go, go out to Him Outside, go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. You know, as I said, much of Hebrews is pointing to the fact that Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of this sacrificial system. If you go back into the Old Testament text, you go back into Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and those kind of texts that were establishing the people of God as they left the, uh, the, the slavery of Egypt and they went into the wilderness and this people that was being formed and shaped by God, that was given the law, that was given this old covenant and, and the ways to worship that were very stringent and very rigid, where there was sacrifice, where they would sacrifice animals and take the blood of these animals and it was given for an atonement for their sins. And you go into those texts and you can see all the details of this sacrificial system. The priest would take the blood of the animal and take the choice pieces of that animal and take it to the uh, Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, that inner sanctuary, and offer them on the altar. But then all of the remaining parts of the animal, all of the refuse, the hide, the intestines, all the parts that were were the garbage parts were, were taken outside of the camp and placed outside of the camp and burned. That's what they did. You know, one of the things about the people of Israel when they were this nomadic people and they were moving their camp and when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire lifted and moved because it showed the, and it was the presence of God and it moved and the people of Israel followed. And so one of the things that they became really good at was they were good at setting up camp. Breaking camp and setting up camp because they were a people who were on the move following the Spirit of God, the living God who led them in the wilderness for these 40 years. And they would establish their camp and they, they got pretty good at setting up their camp which was very orderly and structured. And if you go into some of the research of those camps, the camp was very orderly and structured. And the boundaries of the camp were also very clearly marked. They understood what was in the camp and what was outside the camp. And if you read some of those texts, you also see that, that when people were sent outside the camp, it was because they were, unser- they were ceremonially unclean. And so they were not able to be in the camp for a whole bunch of, of different reasons. And so they had to go outside the camp for a period of time where you were alone and you knew you didn't belong in the camp and it was a place of rejection when you were outside the camp. And then certain things had to happen in order for you to be clean again in order to be able to come back into the camp. So this kind of language that the writer of Hebrews is articulating here, the Jewish people would have clearly understood the language and the imagery and what it all meant. And they would have had this history and this teaching and all of this background behind them that they would have understood. That the rejected refuge from, refuse from the sacrifice was taken outside the camp. You might call it, take it out back, and it was burned. It was the garbage pile. If you've grown up in a small town, Saskatchewan, like I did, or in any small town, or any big town for that matter, you know that every town, no matter how big or small, has a garbage dump, right? 
Everybody kind of knows where it is. It's this place where you take everything. I mean, every community has to figure out a way to take care of the things that rot and are broken and stink and are useless. And we throw them in a dump, right? And it smells and it draws all kinds of animals and rats and skunks and sometimes bears. And it's a place that you really don't want to go a whole lot. Unless you go there for target practice, which is a whole other story which we won't get into. But this is the dump of the people of Israel. Like this is that outside the camp kind of imagery. And this is the place where they would put the refuge taken outside of the camp. It's a place of social rejection. A place of garbage. When Jesus was crucified, he was taken outside of the center of the city of Jerusalem. This holy city. And it was this picture and this powerful imagery that he was outside the camp. Not burned, but crucified. Killed for us. To be made pure. To be made clean. To be made holy again. He was rejected socially. Seen as garbage, as refuse. To bring to fulfillment this sacrificial system to make us forgiven and free and now able to enter into the presence of the living God again. To be made clean. To return to a place of belonging. To community. A place where we worship. This place of incredible grace. If you flip back just to the chapter before in Hebrews chapter 12, you see this powerful text where it contrasts this mountain of fear and mountain of joy. And I don't have those slides here for you, but it it contrasts this different image of Mount Sinai and this place of darkness and gloom and fear and trembling and how is this trumpet blast and this voice that is speaking words to those that begged it no further to speak because there was so much fear. And even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And it's this imagery of Mount Sinai and the holiness, the awesomeness of God and the power of the living God. And then it contrasts that, and it says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, and you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. So this is what the writer of Hebrews is is teaching them and reminding them of. All you people that are so used to these systems, all these people that you're so used to these traditions and these ways of doing life with God, he's saying it's all changing. But it's interesting here in this text, he says, but Jesus Christ is the same Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. He was there at the beginning. He is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is not changing at all, but your relationship to me now is different. Because of God's faithful presence in Jesus Christ, who was willing to go outside the camp for us. It's a powerful picture us this is the incredible love of jesus 
Because the camp now has changed. It includes all the children of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it's this incredible picture of the new covenant of grace. So how do we respond to that? And as we said throughout this series, there are these two parts of what has God done that we've just looked at. But then it's also how do we respond? How do we embrace this? How do we become the faithful presence of Christ to others? In chapter 13, it says, let us then go to Him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that He bore. It's an invitation by Jesus. He says, you need to come to Me and go where I go. Walk where I walk. Be with those who I'm with. How do we actually be with the least of these? We go outside the camp. The camp of things that are comfortable, familiar, that we know. So this is a teaching of invitation. Jesus went outside the camp to be reconciled to God, for us to be reconciled to God, and we are called to follow. So what is it that we're being called to let go of today? What is it that we are being called to let go of as we think about being God's faithful presence in the world? Who is it that we are being called to go to? And as we looked in that Matthew 25 text, that when we are called to go to these people and we serve in that way, we are serving Jesus. Jesus is there. That is the expression. You know, the original audience that this letter was written to is the Jewish people who were being called to go outside of the camp of Judaism. And I think it was a call and a challenge that had history, that had deep ruts, that had deep roots, that I don't think we can imagine the challenge and call of what was being asked of them. And part of the offense of the cross was the rejection of so many of these aspects of the Jewish faith in order to follow Jesus. And the time had now come to acknowledge their loyalty to Christ above all else, regardless of what suffering might ensue. And they needed to move outside the safe confines of their past, their traditions and their ceremonies to truly live for Christ and join with Christ in His mission. Verse 15 and 16 goes on and it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So we're asked by Jesus to respond. Well, we respond with thankful hearts. We respond with thankful lives. We respond with praise to God and, and living out of that worship, living a life of worship. It says here, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. We respond by, by doing good and responding to others' needs. Not to earn our salvation again, but out of response for our salvation and what God has done through Jesus Christ. This ongoing call. You look earlier in the beginning of Hebrews 13, it, it says, you know, keep on loving one another. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Continue to remember those in prison. Continue to remember those who are being mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And so it's giving these articulate things of saying, here's how you respond. Here's the invitation. Here's how we respond to what Jesus has done by going outside the camp with Him. And just simply asking God, what is it that You're calling us to? Who is it that You're calling us to? Who are the least of these? Where do You want us to practice hospitality 
Who do you want us to visit? How do you want us to serve? How do you want us to give sacrificially? To do much good and to love other people in ways and expressions that are following Jesus outside the camp. You know, our our world starves for presence. We're a world that is connected in more ways than people can imagine. Socially, electronically, through travel. You can get around the world in a day. Like we are so connected and yet people are so alone. We're in a world where people long for presence. There seems to be this stunning loss of real presence in our society. And yet people long to be truly known. And people long to truly know others. So many people feel outside of one camp or another. So many people feel rejected in one way or another. Maybe that's you here today. Feeling like, well, I don't know if I really belong. I don't know if I'm really wanted. I don't know if people see my worth. And the invitation is for every one of us is to be like Jesus and ask the question, Jesus, where are you calling us to go outside our camp? We so easily and so quickly stay within the confines of what's safe and comfortable and easy. And yet Jesus continually invites us outside the camp and says, join me here. Where is it that God is calling you? How will we go to them? How will we respond as Jesus invites us to? How will we be a community of imagination? How will we respond to the faithful presence of God in our lives and all that He has done? How will we be the faithful presence of God to others? My best answer to that is, I don't know. Use your best judgment. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your extravagant love for us. We thank You for Your faithful presence which is so evident throughout all of history from the very beginning of the story of creation to the very future that we cannot see and that does not end in eternity, Your presence is there. And Lord, as we come into this Advent season upcoming in the weeks ahead, there is no greater story of Your faithful presence than the incarnation of the living God Himself coming to this earth in the form of a baby to be among His people and to die on our behalf. What an amazing gift. And God, again, we just confess that we so often take this for granted. We forget. We push it aside. We get consumed with the things of this world. We get distracted by so many things, Lord. Help us to see and embrace and acknowledge Your faithful presence, Lord. But God, I pray that You would help each one of us to discern, to be still, to be wise, to be courageous, to be risk-takers, to be adventurous, to be generous, to be sacrificial in how You're calling us to respond. And God, may You just touch the hearts of each one here. May You speak to us as individuals. May You speak to us as families. May You speak to us as small groups. May You speak to us as a church of how You are calling us to be Your faithful presence in the world. 
Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you were willing to die for us, that you took on all of the shame of being outside the camp, of being rejected and unclean in order to make us clean and holy and right before the living God. What an amazing gift. God, help us to see that today. Help us to embrace that today. Help us to know more intimately this truth and the power of the story today. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us respond today. Help us to know what you're calling us to do. We want to worship you with our lives. And we give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.